0: Good morning everyone, how are you? Are you ready to dive in? Yes, excellent, ready for a feast? Anyone hungry? I mean spiritually hungry, we're all physically hungry, we're human. Okay, I'm going to read to start off with uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I had a murmur in the house when the reference was mentioned, although it was in my own head. And verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, sisteren, you're also included, but I wanted to read the New King James this morning. I do not want you to be ignorant. Pat the person next to you to say, I'm not ignorant. How about you? And then duck. (laughs) Verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings, by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. To which I'd say, what a wonderful list and how we need more of those gifts. In fact, I've heard it said a few times, if it's in the Bible, it should be in the church. And if we believe that that God intervenes in the affairs of man, which we do, if we believe that our ministry should be naturally supernatural, which we do, And if we acknowledge that to be effective for God in this world, we are going to need his outstretched hand, then do you know what? This passage should be of great interest to us. Paul went on to say in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. You know what? It's okay to be interested in prophecy. It's okay to be hungry for more. It's okay to ask the Lord for spiritual gifts. In fact, I, I, I'm pretty confident the Holy Spirit is hoping that you will. Why? Because He has a great deal to give. In fact, the starting point for this message really is this God is a gift giver, and we badly need everything he has to offer. For me, I eagerly desire, NIV says, I eagerly desire spiritual gifts for several reasons. First of all, I am only too aware of my own inadequacy. You're so gracious, I was expecting a few amens there. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> Secondly, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, to come alongside to help us, and I need all the help I can get. Amen. And thirdly, now I am convinced that the difference maker is, is, is that divine seed that, that catalyzes change or breakthrough or brings that aha revelation. And that could be a a word of wisdom or knowledge. It could be the ability to discern what's really going on. It could, of course, be those wonderful gifts of healing and the working of miracles. So, with with that in mind, we're going to spend a few weeks looking at the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the series title is Clothed with Power. And the aim is is to learn how to live enduo dunamis, clothed with, mantled with power from on high. The aim is, is to shift the dial a little bit. So we're living and ministering more out of the Holy Spirit's power and the Holy Spirit's strength, and rather less out of our own Now, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in in 1 Corinthians 12 come in three groups of three, uh, revelation gifts and utterance gifts and power gifts. The revelation gifts are words of knowledge and words of wisdom and the discerning of spirits. The power gifts are gifts of healings. Both those words are plural. It's the working of miracles and special faith. And then the utterance gifts are prophecy and different kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. The plan is we're going to look at prophecy today, next week we're going to look at tongues which I'm very excited about, and then we'll move on to the other gifts as we work our way down the line. So prophecy, you ready? What's the framework? The framework we're going to do, answer four questions quickly. Question number one is, what is prophecy? Seems to be a good place to start. Secondly, how does it work? Thirdly, how do we use it? And then fourthly, where do we use it? That's the plan. Uh, We'll dive in. Number number one, what is prophecy? Well, perhaps the simplest definition I, I can find is, prophecy is a supernatural utterance in a known Tongue, which of course distinguishes it from the gift of tongues, which is supernatural utterance in an unknown tongue. So prophecy is a, is a word or, or a message or a picture from God to us, inspired by, revealed by, sparked by the Holy Spirit. It's important, I think, to make the distinction between two types of prophecy. On one hand, we have what they call foretelling, and on the other hand, foretelling. You know, sometimes prophecy will be a foretelling. In other words, there's some form or some element of prediction re- regarding something coming in the future for FORE telling. But you know what? More often, it is forth-telling. Forth-telling is is the inspired proclamation of God's word. Perhaps giving giving fresh revelation or or, or a clear explanation or or perhaps a relevant application. Uh, And what we're talking about here is, is not so much something new I mean, Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. Not something new, but something that is now. In other words, a prophetic word will be something that is is fresh, something that is stirring in your spirit, and and something that is timely for the now. The key word is the word inspired. For it to be prophecy, it has to be God-breathed. It has to be from the Holy Spirit given to us as a gift. And when we think about foretelling and forthtelling, for me, and certainly some of the historical teaching on, on prophecy that I've heard or, or what I've seen people try to operate in, the distinction between foretelling and foretelling for me, is a great release, maybe even a great relief. You know, prophecy does not have to be predictive. It does not have to be some dramatic pronouncement about future events. The warning is it doesn't have to be predictive, but it does have to be inspired. I wrote here in my notes, not just good, but God. Prophecy is not just my very best holy thought given on a Sunday. A word of prophecy has to be Inspired from God, and you know what? The best place you can start foretelling. The best place you can start is God's Word. And if if the if the if the word, the prophecy that you're giving is God's Word, or, or certainly tightly based on God God's Word, you know what? You can give it with confidence. You know that it's scripturally sound. You know It's a wonderful thing when God shines fresh light on his word. And of course it goes without saying that no prophetic word will ever contradict scripture. So 1 Corinthians 14:4 4 again, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, eagerly desire them, especially the gift of prophecy. You know, we want God to speak Quite frankly, we need God to speak. We should encourage a culture where he is at liberty to speak. That's number one, what is prophecy? Question number two is how does it work? Well, I'm going to share with you what I think is a really helpful breakthrough. I heard it first in some teaching by a man called Dutch Sheets, if I can say it. And he said that prophecy has three parts. Part one is, is revelation, and then the other parts are interpretation and application. So revelation is it's what God shows you. It's the picture or the, the message or the word or the phrase or the Bible verse that God shows you in your spirit. Usually when you're worshiping or when you're praying or when you're in his word. That's the first part, revelation. And the second part is interpretation. If that's what God has shown us, if that's what God has said, this is what it means right here and now in this context. And then the third phase, the third stage is application. If that's what he said, And that's what it means. This is then now what we must do. Here's a quick uh, scriptural example of those three stages in action. Uh, Found in Daniel chapter 5. This is the Mene Mene Tekel Parson theme uh, story, if you remember that one. And in this story, the, the king, whose name is Belshazzar, was holding a grand banquet And he decided to use the temple goblets that had been stolen from the temple in Jerusalem, which you could imagine was a big no-no. And during that scene, as they're enjoying the feast, a hand writes on the wall. Can you imagine? And it says in the text that Belshazzar turned pale, that his knees knocked and his legs gave way. Imagine that was just the start of it. You know, the revelation part was clear right in front of his eyes. But as we read through the passage, it was clear that no one had the first idea what it meant. They needed the interpretation. So what did they do? They called for Daniel, the Hebrew boy who was known for his skill at interpreting dreams. It was was a young, godly Hebrew. And he gave the interpretation. It was this, Mene. He said means numbered, i.e. your reign. And tekel means you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And in" means divided. Daniel explained, your kingdom will be given to the Medes and the Persians. And then if you read in Daniel 5 verse 30 to 31, I know this is a PG uh, preaching series, so I'm not going to go into the sordid detail, but suffice it to say King Darius had a sticky end, sorry, King Belshazzar had a sticky end that day as the new King Darius swept in and overcame the kingdom. Instant application, if you like. And you know what, for me, and as Dutch Sheets really well teaches this, that this is where the rubber hits the road. So it's important to note That sometimes, remember we talked about three parts, revelation, interpretation, application. Sometimes you will only be given the first part. You'll only be shown that revelation. Sometimes you will also be given the interpretation and maybe the application. But you know what? Here's the the release. Don't fret if you don't. The key is to only bring the bit that God shows you. Only bring the inspired part. Don't don't fall into the temptation. Don't feel the need to add all your own extrapolations. And here's a story that illustrates that. And in this particular story, uh, there's a church, I think it was a Sunday night event, and a word of prophecy was spoken over a well-known, prominent businessman in that church. And the prophecy went something like that. I see a a stormy cloud of dollar bills, this is in America, of of dollar bills flying angrily around your head. And then the the prophet went on to to give the interpretation. He said, you've messed up financially and judgment is coming. Don't worry, we're not going to call anyone out and prophesy that over them this morning. But you know what? Within 24 hours, the truth had come out. And the reality was this businessman was about to be or had been defrauded by his business partner. And as I said, it all came flooding out the next day. The moral of the story is, is what should have been a gracious warning was delivered as a judgmental rebuke. And therefore, it did great harm rather than its intended good. Okay, so the lesson then is is just present what you are sure you've been shown and don't feel the need to add to it. We've got time for for one more pressure-releasing statement. You know, when it comes to a prophetic word, long doesn't necessarily mean good. Inspired means good. And I think of an example going back after the the first church uh, weekend away we had way back sometime 2010 or something like that. And uh, I, I spoke a stunningly inspired one word prophecy over someone. Just a single word. I think it was the word restoration. Wow, he said But you know what? uh, Later that that same week, that that person made an appointment to come to see me and they spent a whole hour telling me why that single word was so important and so impactful for them. That, That single word broke open a whole bunch of stuff. The point is, just a single word, just the right Bible verse without comment, can be really powerful if it is inspired and it can act, as it were, like a can opener. You don't need to feel the need to embellish it, to paint what, what you perceive to be a full picture of kind of God left you a little bit short maybe. Because if you do that, there's a danger that it might stop being God and start being you. Just be obedient to what God shows you and leave the rest to him. I don't know about you, I find that that simple thought very liberating and very encouraging. Okay, Uh, number three is how do we use it? Let's have a look at the whole little section here in 1 Corinthians on spiritual gifts. It actually runs from 1 Corinthians 12, 13 through all the way through chapter 14. So besides that, that list that we read at the start, verses 4 to 11 of, of chapter 12, it then goes on to, to have a, a long section, if you remember, about, about the body and about diversity and unity, how every body part is important and significant, and that fills up the rest of chapter 12. Chapter 13, of course, is, is Paul's famous passage on love that you had at your wedding that describes love as the greatest gift of all. And then we move into chapter 14. Chapter 14 fleshes out a few practical principles to a church family that that had maybe lost a little bit of sight of love and become a little bit discordant in its over-enthusiasm, I think, the Corinthian church. But the key takeaway from that whole section, chapters 12, 13, and 14, is that love is and love will always be the underpinning factor in everything God does. Which means that that prophetic gifts, in fact all of the spiritual gifts, will be anchored and rooted and grounded in God's love. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. Verse 3, But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. One who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. And what we have there in that little section is is verse 3 there, there explains the purpose and the character and the tone of New Testament prophecy. Which if you read in the good old King James was edification, exhortation and comfort. The Amplified says this, The one who prophesies speaks to people for edification to promote their spiritual growth. And speaks words of encouragement to uphold and advise them concerning the matters of God. And speaks words of consolation to compassionately comfort them. In other words, the principles of edification, exhortation, and comfort, which I was going to call EEC, but that has another connotation. Those principles must be at the forefront whenever we use any of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In fact, edification, exhortation, and comfort must be what we bring as well as how we bring it. Quickly whip through those three. Number one, edification. Edification is literally the act of building something, of helping it to grow. 1 Corinthians 14:12. Since you are eager for the gift of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Do you know what? It's easy to tear down. Let's go on social media. It's much more difficult to build up. It is a strong statement for you. Internet trolls that call themselves prophets aren't prophets. They're carnal. That's because true biblical New Testament prophecy is characterized by edification, by building people up. I love what Chris Balaton teaches. He says that prophets call gold out of dirt. Any critic can talk about the dirt, and most of them do. It takes a prophet to call out the gold. And so New Testament prophets don't just pinpoint a problem. They highlight divine opportunities. They, they edify. They build up and they, they equip and they spark personal growth. Number two, exhortation. You know what that means? It's encouragement. It's speaking words of life. It's imparting strength. Here's another sweeping statement. I am confident that most people live in a state of constant discouragement. The enemy thrives on discouragement and isn't at all fast who he uses to do it. But you know what? As Christians, I am convinced that we should be a fountain of encouragement. Proverbs 15, for the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 12, 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So prophecy exhorts, prophecy tells people they can. Prophecy reinforces who people are in Christ. It points them straight at the promises of God. It reminds people of why they are here. I'd say, let's do that. Let's be known for that. For me, I'd love to be known as an encourager, wouldn't you? I'd love the barn. I've said this many times. I'd love it to be an earth-shatteringly encouraging place. So that people walk out of here at the end of a Sunday morning or any morning frankly they walk out with their heads held high with their hearts full they leave as I say just a couple of inches taller and just a couple of pounds lighter amen and just a couple of encouragements stronger the third one rattling through these is comfort literally you know this word means it means calming consoling Reassuring. John 14, 16. I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever. He said this a few weeks ago. Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit as a comforter. And prophecy, of course, is a gift of the Holy Spirit, so it will reflect his personality and his ministry, which is to come alongside and comfort. And so prophets bring comfort by speaking light into darkness, by speaking hope into despair, by speaking truth into confusion, by speaking love into hurt, by speaking strength into weakness, and by speaking encouragement into discouragement. This is why prophecy is such a precious gift. Okay, we're doing well. We're near there. Number four, last one. That was how do we use it? Question four is where do we use it? And I'm going to propose, it's getting really practical now, propose a few situations where the Holy Spirit might use you in the gift of prophecy. And the first one is one on one. And I say this if we make and I think this has happened at times, if we make standing up the front of a church on a Sunday and saying, thus saith the Lord, and splurting out something wonderful in King James English, if we make that the pinnacle of this gift, and, that, and that is, that's not saying that isn't part of the gift, if we make that the pinnacle, then I think we're selling ourselves short. There's a time for that. I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to discourage that. We, we, we'll get to that in a minute. But for me, I've been on this earth a few years now. For me, the the inspiration I long for is in those one-on-one interactions, in those conversations where we desperately need the key to unlock that door. And in that one-on-one interaction, that conversation, it could be just a nugget of truth that sets them free. It could be a a now word that gets their attention, draws them back to God. It could perhaps be what to them is is the surprise revelation that God knows and that God cares. Well, I reckon the, the primary working of this gift is relational. You know, so as we're chatting, it becomes clear that there are some real challenges there. That that passion in us starts to stir. That's the Holy Spirit. In that moment, we just long for God to speak. Have you found yourself in those situations? So that moment, we we ask God, we pray for that spirit of wisdom and revelation, hoping to receive something significant, maybe something prophetic. Something that provides for that person that life-changing key or, or that catalyst, or that epiphany, if you like. And so the moral for me when I, when I think about this gift is we need to be listening out for those prophetic whispers in those one-on-one interactions. And the people we're talking to, frankly, are crying out for help. So, where do we use it? Number one, in one on one, in conversations, in relationship, in interactions. Where do we use it? Number two, is connect groups. And as we gather in our connect groups, the, the key ingredients are present it's relational and it's pastoral. We're in the word and we're in worship, we're praying. Over one another. We're probing for truth and insight as we endeavor to support and encourage one another. And as a teenager, I remember attending a discipleship series class, and I remember being taught that everyone hath. Did anyone else have the everyone hath lesson? 1 Corinthians 14:26. What shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, everyone hath. That's the King James Version. This is the NIV. Each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. But everything must be done so the church may be built up. And here's my theory. Everyone has, on a Sunday morning, we're going to be here a very long time. My sense is that small group is an ideal Environment for words of encouragement and for the sharing of testimonies and for reading scripture over one another and asking God to speak. Always with ears open for that inspiration or that that revelation or that spark. Third place, uh, I believe, where we could and should see the prophetic ministry used is in the prayer ministry. Great place for prophetic input. People's hearts are open. The word of God has been spoken. We're in the presence of God. And we probably just prayed, Holy Spirit, come. You know, straight after Jesus gave his commissions to his disciples in the Mark 16 version, there's this little verse, verse 20, the last verse in Mark. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them. I reckon that's gifts of spirit, don't you? And confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. You know, God is in the business of confirming his word with signs and wonders following. That's why we have response ministry It's not just so that the clock can tick through to half past 11 when the kids are ready. You know, that ministry time gives the Holy Spirit time and space to confirm that word, time and space to minister it, to, to supernaturally charge the word that's been spoken. And in this, I'm not trying to put pressure on our prayer ministry team, but I'm boasting on the Holy Spirit. This is what he does. So I'd really like to encourage you in response time to come forward. Here's a line, the more radically you respond, one of our kingdom culture values, the more radically you respond, the more you'll receive from the Lord. And the fourth place is Sunday morning, I've called it, service time, as we gather together. Here's the question, where in our Sunday morning service is there the opportunity for God to speak or for prophetic gifts or words to be given? And I'd say essentially in three main places. The first place is, is worship. You know, sometimes in worship, certainly in my experience, God will reveal something, something of his person or something of his character or something of his love, or maybe something of jubilee. You know, and I reckon that God will primarily use the host or, or perhaps the worship leader for that. But you know what? We are open for God to use all of us. So number one is, is worship. Number two is in preaching. I pray all week as I prepare for, for what I call that prophetic edge for that revelation or or that inspiration or that that pertinent application or or, or that weightiness, if you like. I'm bold enough to believe that God can say something on a Sunday morning that is life-giving. He can say something specific to you. He can say something transforming and powerful through His Word. And the third place, already mentioned, is in in response and in ministry. You know, this again is God confirming his word. And we have situations frequently where someone come, talk the host, and and say, I just feel God's shown me something, or I've seen a picture, or I feel like I've got a word for the church. And that word will be something that that maybe sinks that truth a little bit deeper. It may be a word that that emphasizes or or visualizes. I love those ones. You know, the pastor rabbited on for 35 minutes. A lot of words came out of his mouth. Here's a really simple picture that sums it all up. I love those ones. It may be a a word that actually specifically personalizes it for you sitting in your seat. You know, that that, that word could be publicly from the mic. It could be personally in the, the prayer corner. But you know what? It could be whispered into your ears, yourself, as you wait upon the Lord. We try and give it that space. I'd say the Sunday mornings are intended to be a journey. We praise, and then we worship, and then the Word of God is preached, and then we respond. And so, you know, all the way through that journey, we ask, Word of God, speak we're open for for the holy spirit to intervene for god to use people in prophetic gifts and the other gifts that we'll come to because we want to be a naturally supernatural people okay let's wrap this up we believe that god speaks amen I'm convinced that God wants to speak. We want to create environments where He is at liberty to speak. So, as Paul wrote, let's eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that we may prophesy. As a people, whether that's corporately, whether that's individually, whether that's in your own prayer life, whether that's in your relationships and conversations, let's be open and available. Let's be prayerfully listening. And let's be bold to step out when we hear him speak. I'll leave you with a very simple challenge. If the worship team would like to make their way to the front, that would be great. Next time you're praying for someone, try asking questions like this. Lord, as I pray here, as we talk, what do you want me to say? Right back to the beginning, I'm well aware of what I can do in my own strength. It is singly unimpressive. Lord, what do you want to say? What is the key that might unlock this closed door? What is your heart for this person in this situation right now? Next time you're chatting, someone's pouring out their problems. Next time you're praying for someone, ask questions like that. First of all, we ask. Then, of course, inevitably, we have to listen and then use what the Lord shows you to encourage, to edify, to exhort, and to comfort His name and for His glory.